Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and, uh, geez, a bunch of other crap, but you guys have heard me say it before. So I will say come to strengthguild.com and sign up for the new newsletter. Um, sending out a bunch of free stuff on there. So I, I, I promise we won't blow you up with, you know, buy this new $90 ebook all the time and things like that. Not so. just spam. Yeah, no spam. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and today with us, we've got Brandon Lilly. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Hey, yeah, thanks for waking up early, seeing as you're out on the West Coast. But yeah, um, we're going to do a little news, and then uh, we're going to talk to Brandon. So, Lonnie, what do you got? Yeah, right on. Strength and Muscle Sport News. I have a bit of science news and then a bit of Iron Radio-specific stuff, but... Uh, the first one I saw, I think it was Mike Nelson, and our listeners know Mike Nelson, you know, sort of a friend of Iron Radio. He asked a question recently about protein and muscle recovery. So uh, just by chance, I was poking around in the literature. I wasn't even looking for this, but 2014 May, I mean, this is spanking new stuff, sports med, um, the effects of protein supplements on muscle damage, soreness, and recovery – a systematic review. This is from Pasikos uh, and colleagues, but let me just run this down quickly. To provide a systematic and comprehensive analysis of the literature uh, based on the hypothesis that protein supplements can enhance recovery, uh, in other words, reduce or attenuate the muscle damage following resistance exercise. So they took um, a bunch of studies, right? This is a systematic review, so it's a study of other studies. Uh, they picked studies that had adults less than 50 years of age um and then there was a combination of endurance and lifting guys but 27 articles they finally selected of which 18 dealt exclusively with the ingestion of protein and muscle damage and soreness now i've actually um published a little bit on that before anyway uh, results, high quality and consistent data demonstrated there is no apparent relationship between muscle soreness or markers of muscle damage. So for people who aren't familiar, there's certain enzymes you'll see go up in your blood that spill out of sore muscles and whatnot. Um, and they didn't really see it. Um, now that's based on acute studies. And you know, this is always the problem with this sort of stuff is you feed somebody some protein, you have them do a lot of negatives and get real sore. And you're like, oh, the protein didn't do anything. But these guys, I think, cleverly said, but there's probably something going on after daily training and protein consumption because, of course, that's the hard thing. You know, you do a training study. you got to keep people in the study for weeks or months at a time and look over time, you know, and see if there's an enhancement. Um, anyway, it says there was some small sample numbers. There was a lack of dietary control uh, and that sort of thing. So, it, weirdly, there's some literature out there. Uh, and I've actually seen it in the lab, too. When you're in a really high-protein diet, you'll see some of these higher muscle damage markers. Uh, and I don't look at it like worse. I always looked at that like better, frankly, like out with the old and with the new sort of thing. Um, like more muscle turnover, you know, protein turnover. Anyway, it says conclusions. Overwhelmingly, studies have consistently demonstrated the acute effects of protein for anabolism. However, to date, as far as changes in post-exercise recovery... Um, they aren't really seeing much. So it makes me think about that when I see a bottle or a, a tub of some kind of powder or product and they talk about enhanced recovery. I, they're probably t talking more about like cell signaling and turning on anabolism. But as far as measurable markers of less soreness or less damage, like from blood work, uh, it's not really going to work that way probably. So anyway, May 2014, that's the science bit. And then the iron radio bit is uh i wish rob could join us because he was going back and forth with one of our uh, listeners on uh, email but our app is in the stores i don't have an android phone so i can't look um but i know it's i think it's called the um 
podcast box. It's from Libsyn uh, in the Apple Store. Now, I was kind of hoping these guys would whip us up a really slick app that would stand alone. But what it is is Libsyn, Liberated Syndication, they're a premier podcast host. They have an app, uh, and now you can just search in that app for Iron Radio. And like Rob says at the end of the program here in the little ad, um, you can do cool things with that. There's a little E in the corner. You can click on that and get extra content if we have it. We're not going to have that every episode, so you know, don't be spoiled, but... You know, it could be extra audio. It could be a picture. Like if I'm rambling about science, it could be a graph. It could be a, I don't know, a picture of Phil in his posing trunks. I don't Woo! Know. <laughs> that would be sexy. So that episode would blow out. It would. Okay. It would blow, go viral. <clears throat> yeah. That's all I've got, though. <laughs> okay, so Brandon, let's get back to you. Let's. Uh, I think the way we started out with everybody usually is, how'd you get started in just strength training at all? It all began. Uh, I was playing. I was playing soccer. I was playing basketball in high school, and I was a pretty good soccer player to the point that uh, I'd started talking to some colleges, and they were actually, you know, looking at my stats. And I went to a very, very small school, the Class A school, and everybody seemed to be really interested in me. But they were like, "Well, how do you fare against bigger, stiffer competition?" So there was a bigger high school, a three A school across town, and. You know, an obvious choice for me was, well, if I want to go to, to college and play soccer, I need to go to a bigger school. So that's where I went. And Kentucky has a recruiting law. And since I didn't move residents, um, I was I was actually one of the first cases ever ruled ineligible oh, um, man. To, to play sports. And it was actually a valid reason. And there were four other kids in my same class that transferred the opposite way from a bigger school to a smaller school that were able to play. I mean, they, they transferred actually after I did and were able to play. I was the only one that wasn't allowed. <clears throat> so you take a guy, pretty um, pretty high active kid, and you know you take the one thing that is probably keeping him in a straight line away from him, and I just kind of started getting in trouble, uh, started skipping class, started skipping school. And one day uh, this, this guy named Travis Lynch – he was a history teacher slash social studies teacher. And he's also a coach on the football staff. He came over to me. He said, man, he said, look, he said, I care about you. And I, I want you to understand you're going down a path to nowhere. And I'm like, you know, 17 years old. You're like, what, what are you talking <laughs> about? You're such a douche. <laughs> but long story short, he was like, meet me in the weight room. And, this was on the heels of me getting in trouble a little bit at school. You know, I'd been to the principal's office numerous times. And uh, he takes me in the weight room, and he just starts showing me stuff. And I'll never forget, he put me on this one machine. It was like a pec row or a pec press machine. And I just I started going, and it was like, he said do 10. And I ended up just, I don't know how many I did. It was, it was probably 50. <laughs> but, I mean, I ended up having tears just running down my face. It was like all that pent-up aggression and everybody that I was mad at, um, I was just, I just kept going and going and going and going. And that's really the first successful time I had in the gym because when I first went to the gym a year or so back, I tried to squat 135 and fell straight to the floor, busted my face. And, you know, so the gym kind of had a negative connotation to me. And then fast forward to working with Coach Lynch, he put me on a program. I couldn't train with anybody because I was ineligible, but he gave me a program that he had the football players on. And I just ran with it, and that led me going to a, another gym called Total Fitness. And there was nothing fitness about this place. It was just a bunch of super, super strong, dedicated meatheads. And it was um, it was a great gym. It was a high-intensity atmosphere. Numerous guys benching over 400, a few benching over 500, uh, many squatting over 500, squatting, some squatting in the 600s. And this is just guys just – blue collar you know mm. some of them worked out in blue jeans some of them you know one of the famous attire there was blue jeans and no shirt you know it was just a hardcore blue collar gym and that's where I cut my teeth and the gym was there and from there we progressed to a group of guys that um that were training the west side method and I say they were training the west side method but they were using a box bands and chains you know, it was a very rudimentary understanding of the method. So I gravitated back towards them. 
and I ran with powerlifting. I started competing um, very early on, put up some good totals, and uh, kind of got into the the tougher years of my college years. And I was throwing at Berea College. I was a thrower of shot put and uh, hammer. So I just kind of got away from the powerlifting for a little bit, did some bodybuilding and strongman, and then I came full circle and ended up training powerlifting with those guys again at a new spot until um, Louis Simmons gave me an invite to come to Westside on December 3rd, 2009. And uh, from there, I had some changes that occurred, and I went to Westside for a year, trained there, had a great time, built my total up. Then I went and trained with Chuck Vogelpohl at Lexon for a year. And while I was at Lexon, that's when I transitioned to my own style of training, started uh, exploring a lot different methods and doing some things that I used to do back at Total Fitness. And that's what evolved into the cube method. So, <clears throat> And then fast forward, what, you've hit a 2002-4 uh, total? No, nah, 2237 is oh. my, my best uh, Raw total, I hit twenty two oh four. Actually, the the proudest accomplishment I probably have is October twenty sixth. I think is what it was. I hit a twenty one thirty eight at three oh eight, and six days later at Mark Bell's meet, I hit the twenty two oh four at Super Heavy, and that was kind of the beginning of of me trying to not necessarily spit in the face, but open people's eyes to the fact that all these beliefs of well, you can't compete in close proximity. You know, you can't do certain things, you know, because you fast forward to that, that March. Um, I did the animal cage where I pulled 755 without a belt. And then the very next day I competed in the Arnold Multiply, and I hadn't been in my gear in 10 months, not even tried it on. So I go to the Arnold and I try on my gear and ended up hitting a 2612 total in Multiply, which is a 82, let's see, no, it was a 92-pound PR. And... um you know, it was 82, 82 pound PR. And, um, I'd never been in my gear at all. I just gotten stronger. So that was my whole point was, you know, I'm trying to prove to people that powerlifting should remain about strength. Mm. You know, I think the sport really got sideways with the explosion of the gear. And I absolutely have nothing, nothing negative to say about people who train in gear mm. because it is hard. But, um, I think, when the gear became the mechanism to do the lifting more so than the lifter, that's when we kind of got off track. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think we've talked about it a few times. It got to the point where you look at any of the top guys in multiply, and they're they're fucking strong raw. Right. You know, they just are. But you got these people coming up, and like I was at a meet two weeks ago, an SPF meet that I was head judge, and there were literally there was there was two girls in there lifting multiply like benching 98 pounds and it's like come on exactly and that's that's what i got kind of sideways about was you know because i went through a very organic progression you know it was like total meathead just if you walk in here and we're doing bench you're benching if you walk in here we're doing arms we're doing arms kind of progression to like i said a very exotic west side template that was just pieced together by a bunch of meatheads to a very strict West side program to kind of an evolution beyond West side with Chuck. Um, and then, you know, transitioning to my own stuff that came from Shaco came from Sakari Serolinko. He's actually the guy who gave me the, the idea for the foundation of the rotation of days. He's a, he's a Finnish powerlifting coach and he came to West side. He's one of Louie's great friends. And, uh, he was actually talking to Jake Anderson and I about a deadlift program that he had his guys on, and it was a rotationary basis, and that was what spawned the de- or the the cube method. Mm-hmm. See, he has his guys lifting gear, and he said that the the rotation of days, it was the way he did the deadlift was a heavy deadlift day, a repetition deadlift day, and then an accessory day like barbell rows, excess you know, not deadlifting but doing heavy back work, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, but he said it didn't transition to the bench or the squat very well, which makes sense because the guys were in gear, so they needed the overload more and more and more. But the deadlift, you kind of finesse it a little bit. So when I was training raw, um, I was doing so well with that deadlift rotation, but I added in the speed day instead of the accessory day because I just like the deadlift. 
and then we we started experimenting on it with the bench day and then gravitated to the to the squat day and that was really the very early early stage of of the cube method but you know like you say I enjoyed just being strong and when I did strongman and when I did bodybuilding in my very early powerlifting days I can remember walking around feeling like not like a superhero but you know just your body feels tight you feel strong you feel confident and when I was at my strongest at Westside and this is not a knock on Louis Simmons it's a knock on myself because when I got to Westside I think I took for granted how hard I actually had to work because I was getting stronger on the platform the numbers were going up but I didn't work as hard in the gym and my body suffered for it so hmm. when I was at Westside it was get big at all costs you know just eat 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 gain weight no matter how it looks on your body and I got soft I got kind of I just got lazy you know and um you know people will hear that and say that I'm I'm bashing Louie and I'm not I'm bashing myself I, I had a great opportunity and kind of blew it but it actually came full circle and led me back to training raw again you know because I missed that feeling I missed feeling jacked and strong you know right yeah um let's 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 fast forward a bit and let's touch on your injury before we come, go to a break and then uh we'll, we'll go into the cube method a bunch sure um i know lonnie you had a question let's start off with that and then we'll go from there well my big question i guess is what led up to it you know sometimes you'll hear people ask did you have any kind of indication of having like a catastrophic you know tendons let go kind of injury and that sort of thing and I'm actually working on a medical paper about this right now, uh, just a case study. So I'm very interested in case studies, right? And now let me sure. set let me set this up because, like, somebody might say, "Well, you know, is patellar tendons let go or whatever, you know, happens because he had 800 pounds on his back or something like that?" Right. Okay, but what if you had that on your back two weeks before, you know, or right. why didn't it happen two weeks mm-hmm. later? So I'm yeah. very interested in, in a case by case thing about. You know, how are you eating, sleeping, training, you know what I mean, before, in the month before? Well, here's exactly, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I was, uh, I was dancing with the devil, you know, I I had done something in the, in the range of like 14 meets in 18 months. Um, and that varied from bench only to deadlift only to full meets to push pulls, whatever. And a lot of that came on the heels of the release of the cube method and, you know, a lot of people kind of lashed out against it. So it was like, well, look, you know, I'll show you. So here we are. I'd gone to Australia twice, competed down there, had great totals, uh, knee wrapped and, and knee sleeved. And then I was going to do pro or I was going to do rum. And uh, on after rum, I'd planned to take an extended kind of vacation, you know, not from lifting, but just from competing. And Steve Dennison held the USPA uh, meet out there in, in LA and I'm a state chairman and he called me up and he was like look you know I'd really appreciate it if you came out here Dan's supporting the meet Dan Green is supporting the meet and mm-hmm. you know I know you're supporting rum but you're also a USPA um, state chairman and it would look good you know if we can build two coastal raw championships so I was like all right man I'll jump into it because it was two weeks apart and I like competing that close you know I like being peaked and then just kind of milking it for a week or two and then whatever. Mm -hmm. But after pro raw, I knew that, um, something was off and that was the, that was the last meet that I did in uh, Australia and training just took a while to like click again, you know, things that should have been easy were a little bit harder than they should have been. And I was traveling three weekends a month doing seminars, doing appearances, whatever, and that meant I was leaving on a Friday, working on Saturday and Sunday, flying back on Monday, and having Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to train. Well, Tuesday I'm exhausted. Thursday I'm usually preparatory mode to leave. So my workouts on Tuesday and Thursday got cut short, and the only the only lift that I was really pushing was Wednesday, which was my bench press. So I'm really big on chiropractic and massage, and I go to my chiropractor, and he's like, dude, you're just you're just folding. You know, you're kind of crumbling. And uh, he said, you really need to think about what you're doing. He said, do you want to be good for a year, or do you want to be good for 20 more years? And um, I go to my massage therapist, and actually, 
because I'd been pushing the uh, the knee sleeve training so hard. I mean, when I train, I train really hard, and I do a lot of repetition work. And I was just having like some just some tightness, some stiffness in the knee. You know, kind of felt like it was creaking when it would bend. So she got to looking at it, and she was like, "Yeah, you got a lot of inflammation in your knee. You probably need to be careful." And uh, she said, "I would really recommend." probably just skipping these meets i know they mean a lot to you but i would probably recommend that you skip them and you know me being the kind of guy that i am well you know i'm i'm no pussy you know i'm gonna i'm gonna lift and ultimately i paid for it you know i squatted the exact same weight that i fell with on my second attempt they just called me on depth felt no pain felt no nothing just felt stiff you yeah. know and um that was that was actually the cue Chad Smith gave me he said you just look stiff you look hesitant he said maybe drop a little bit faster so I went back and I was like you know what it's just one more squat just get through it the best you can and when I went down um, I believe it was my quad tendon that tore I mean just kind of discerning the sounds and the feeling mm-hmm. um, it was on the top of my knee mm-hmm. so we think it was the quad tendon that went first and then it was like there was not any other pops or pulls or anything until I actually hinged back on my body on the ground and that's when the the chaos ensued Mm -hmm. yeah you know I'll (laughs) tell you that's something I hear a lot and I like your phrase about dance with the devil I'm going to steal that from you (laughs) because because so many times you don't have any indication on the day something lets go you know Phil and I have had I mean I'm not lifting poundages like you guys but I've had a tendon let go and there's no indication so many times, you know, it's not like I feel this stinging. I really need to pull out of this lift. You know, you're just in the middle of something. Things are feeling good. And then boom, you know, but it seems to be that dance with the devil period that, yeah, if you, if only you would have the self-awareness to say, you know, damn, you know, I look how I've been living. I don't know. And that's exactly what it was. It was, it was lying to myself because my training was suffering. My nutrition was suffering. All the things that I had made myself do right, um, had really, really suffered, you know, and even pro raw, like after the capo meet, I hit the 2237 and I was like, damn, you know, I've, I've done a lot, you know, I'm not really bragging, but like patting myself on the back, you know, it was like, I've done a lot this year. And then I had the opportunity to go to pro raw and I was like, you know, I'm not really going to hit it as hard as I can and try to do another knee wrap total. So let me do a knee sleeve total. So in my own mind, I was already going into that cruise phase a little bit mm, because yeah. I just had to milk my lifts. But, I, you know, basically anything that I did was going to be a PR mm. because I hadn't competed in a long time without knee wraps. So I was looking at that as not really a cruise meet because I wanted to do well. I mean, I totaled 2110 with knee wraps or I mean, knee sleeves. So it wasn't a, an off day for sure. But um, I definitely was in the mindset of, I don't want to squat 850 pounds right now. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like 760. Yeah. yeah, I'll squat 760 with knee sleeves, but 850, I don't I don't want to fool with that. No, and I mean, I had the same thing with, well, my first bicep, my second bicep that I blew, I, I, I had no indication at all. But I was, you know, my first one, I was signed up for seven strongman competitions. We're coming into the first one of my, it had been aching for weeks, and I was just stupid and kept going. <laughs> you know, and well, didn't you know, didn't listen to myself, didn't listen to other people. But you know, to me, that's the hardest thing because I, I train a lot of athletes, and a lot of guys they want to know where the line is, you know. And it's like there's been so many times that I've had aches and pains that doctors would probably say you need to just stay on the couch. Yeah. And it's like you push through that, and then you find that hey, it doesn't hurt anymore because. Mm-hmm. You just worked through it. Yeah. But if you took off for every ache and pain, you would never lift. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's it, that's why I say, you know, dancing with the devil because you just don't know when he's gonna pull the rug out from under you, mm-hmm. you know. So so let's get on to what's going now. I mean, what's training like now? I mean, you're you're <laughs> you're set on coming back from this. I mean, from an well, injury where a lot of people say I'm I'm done. Well, yeah. you know what? Um <laughs> You know, those people don't know me, and those people don't understand um, the way that I am and kind of the quote that I've given a few people, <clears throat> especially people. Uh, I don't give a damn about anybody that doesn't know me anymore. Um, when I got hurt, I learned how, how many people really care about you. So the people that care about me and, 
you know, about my well-being. When I told them I was going to come back, they said, are you crazy? You know, what are you trying to do to yourself? And I said, I can live with not getting back to 100%, but I can't live not giving 100%. Mm. So actually tomorrow, June 1st, um, I'm doing a full meet at Mark's Gym, uh, four months post-op, and I'll probably squat in the neighborhood of about 70 pounds. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, that's I'm a full meat lifter, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't um, I don't disrespect the bench only guys or any of that stuff, but I'm a full meat lifter, and if if my body will let me squat 70 pounds, I'll squat 70 pounds. <clears throat> if I can squat 100 tomorrow, I'll squat 100, and that's always the way that I've been. You know, I have a I'm 308 right now, so I have a really good shot at hitting a, a lifetime bench PR at 308, which is 540, so I can possibly break that and who knows what i'll pull i mean i pulled 500 wearing a cast so uh-huh. um you know stupid probably <laughs> but you know that's just um it's a part of who i am you know and i've been going crazy for four months so it's time to time to get it back on the platform i don't care if i don't care how long it takes you know i'll compete forever <clears throat> So what what are you looking at? Let's see here. Maybe you can get like a dude. Oh, eleven hundred total. That's what I was gonna say. That'd be awesome if you could do it like eleven or twelve hundred total with no with no squat. I think twelve hundred. You know, a hundred, hundred pound squat, five fifty bench, and a five fifty pull. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's smart, Brandon. I mean, you're taking something that you're not injured you know recovering from in that rehab kind of phase you're going to focus on what you're strong at you know and then everything else you're just going to do what your body allows i think that's that's logical yeah i mean i just um my actual and this is something that a lot of people are interested in my rehab after this meet i and i owe mark bell a lot because he put the he put the coals in the fire and nobody and i don't want to get tore up over this but nobody knows what Mark means to me as a person. Um, he's just, he's been an unbelievable resource as far as friendship and guidance and just somebody that always had the right thing to say to me at the right moment. And, you know, when I'm in the hospital and uh, I'm banged up and I'm down and I'm probably on the verge of like falling into the biggest depression ever, he, he calls me up and he's like, what's up, man? He said, uh, what'd you PR on today? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he said, you had to do something better today than you did yesterday, so tell me. And every single like every single time we would talk, he would like he would make me do something, you know, or tell him something that was good, you know, tell him something that was positive. And um he was like, I tell you what, you're gonna do my meet June first. He said, Now you have something to shoot for. And as soon as he said that, like the mindset of myself changed. You know, it was like I don't have to worry about squatting. I can just do bench only. You know, I could actually just lay me on the bench and I'll bench, you know. (laughs) But um, as I got further along in my recovery and things progressed the way that they did, they progressed very rapidly. um, It was like, you know what? I can leg press because they have me doing leg presses and I can deadlift. So if I can leg press, surely to God I can squat. Mm. Well, I would try to squat and it was like eight, ten inches high. But it was getting better every week. So my, I set a goal for myself, just squat the bar at Mark's meet. And had it not been for Mark, you know, saying, you're doing my meet, no options, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that I would have pushed my recovery as hard as I have. I mean, it's been brutal, you know. Um, brutal is br- brutal is a nice way of putting it, what <laughs> I put myself through. But it's also the, the reason that I, I'm walking mm-hmm. and – doing things at 16 weeks that they told me I wouldn't be doing until the seven, eight month mark, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, Phil, I, and Brandon, I, I really th- think that shows the quality of somebody's character, you know, tough times in life. I once said this to TC Luoma, but tough times will separate the men from the boys more than any just total will, you know what I mean? And just showing yeah. up and showing that good form, like, I'm just going to put what I can on the bar here. I bet you're going to get applause, man. You know, yeah. oh, like, yeah. woo, Brandon, go 135, and you can just laugh about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's good form. It's, it's no, showing I mean, strength. 
I also think you see it time and time again. It for from anybody that sticks into this field and does well. It it's something you've seen. I mean, like I'm good friends with, with Windler, and me and him have been talking because we're both facing injury right now, and it never comes up like what we're going to do when we quit. It it's always about how I'm going to come back from this, how I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. it's what it's all about. I mean, and. Uh, I don't know. It takes a special kind of crazy to be that kind of person, but uh, it takes a lot I of think, courage. It's, it takes courage, you know. Yeah, I think that was the the one benefit that I've always had is, um, you know, my dad was kind of a he was a hardworking dude. He was he wasn't around much, but his his influence was that of, you know, I'm going to show you uh, what hard work is. And I mean, my dad worked a thankless job, um, endless hours never enough money, but he never complained. And then that transition, because, you know, I worked on a farm, tobacco farm, cattle farm, and around those men, you know, complaining doesn't get you anything, but, you know, lashing, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, forward, fast forward to going to West Side, and, you know, you, you see Louie's injuries and the way that he sacrificed for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hear him talk, you know, he was like, there was never a question if, if I was coming back or not. It was just how soon. Yeah. And then you see Chuck. You know, Chuck was probably one of the bigger influences on my training. Uh, and that dude is just, I mean, he's he's been through the ringer for the sport. And I think with those guys as my role models, um, I would be doing a disservice to them. You know, my father, the man that I worked with on the fields, and, you know, Chuck, Louie, and, and guys of that caliber. I would be disrespecting them to, to consider myself a good powerlifter if I walked away when I was injured, you know. Let's take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk about the cube. All right. We'll go into that. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, Lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes – We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, let's bring this back in. So, everybody, again, we got Brandon Lilly joining us, and uh, we just talked about his past and how he came up through soccer and everything else and then powerlifting and the injuries and the records and all that stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about the Cube now. So I I just want to approach this from an aspect of 
you're talking to somebody who knows nothing about it. Let let our listeners kind of know. You went into kind of where, how it, how it originated a bit. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the nuts and bolts of it. All right. Well, the, the basic philosophy for me and, and what I was running into, and people, if you're listening to this and, and you like the West Side Method, let me finish before you, you attack me. Um, I trained the West Side Method for 10 years. I was very successful on it. I achieved a 2530 uh, multiply total via the West Side template. It obviously works. But I found myself when I was transitioning back to raw um, that I was I was really struggling to recover. I was really struggling to get better. So a lot of that was maybe probably my overzealousness and and the overloads and the band waves and things like that. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I did was. I took a template that uh, Sakari, he's a Finnish powerlifting coach, had given me and Jake Anderson for our deadlifts. And what that was, was one week on the deadlift, we pulled heavy. One week on the deadlift, we pulled for repetitions. And the next week, we did accessory work. And what I found was that my deadlift was actually the only lift that was gaining. You know, I was kind of spinning my wheels elsewhere. And I thought, well, you know what? This is going so well. But I don't like the accessory day. I, I like to deadlift all the time. So coming from the West Side template, um, I was used to a speed day or you know um, a lightened day. And what I did was I transitioned the accessory day to a lightened day. So what I have basically is three intensities for each lift. So what I did was I applied that to the bench and the squat. But instead of having everything on the same wave, and, you know, trying to program deloads, what I found was if I did the the, uh, the rotation in the right way, I would never, ever have to deload. So what I did was, let's say on Monday I squatted heavy. Wednesday I benched for reps. Sunday was explosive deadlifting. I mean, Friday was explosive deadlifting, and, and the weekend was, uh, was bodybuilding day type accessory day, just go in and hit weak points. So then the next week everything shifts forward. Monday, my squat, since it was heavy last week, is now explosive. My bench, which was repetition, is now heavy. And my deadlift, which was explosive, is now repetition. The next week, uh, my, my squat on Monday becomes for reps. My bench becomes explosive. My deadlift becomes heavy. So every third week, you go through this wave. And that's why it's a three-by-three three wave, which is why it's called the cube, you know, the three-by-three three. And it, it looks much more clean and understandable on paper. But what it allowed me to do was every third week, we upped the percentages. And over the course of nine weeks, we peaked ourselves for the 10th week where I created either the setting for doing a full meet or doing a mock meet in your own gym. A lot of my lifters are just people who want to get stronger. They don't really care about competing. So they, they turn to do a mock meet, which they set it up just exactly like a meet in their gym. And my whole philosophy was I'm not trying to sell you on a program where you're going to gain 50, 60, 70 pounds every time you run it. Mm -hmm. There are people who have done that, and, um, you know, that's awesome. But my philosophy was if you can give me a five-pound PR every single cycle at 10-week cycles, that will give me five cycles a year. Five-pound PR every 10 weeks, that's 15-pound total PR times five is 75 pounds per year mm -hmm. of consistent measured progress. If you get more than that, that's great. But 75 pounds a year over four years is 300 pounds. Let's say you get a 30 pound PR every now and then, you know, it could easily become a 300, 400 pound total increase in a number of years. You just have to understand patience and dedication to that. So many lifters are looking for the home run. And what I'm trying to give them is a systematic approach to consistent, steady gains that are actually lasting, where they're not riding this roller coaster of up and down, up and down, up and down. It's a more gradual, but it's always increasing. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, one thing, like I did West Side 2 for a bit. I can't say what, I did conjugate periodization. And as a raw lifter, yeah, I mean, the thing I noticed was, um, God, you got beat up from so many, you know, an Emmy day every week. Right. So get, oh, getting that alternation, I mean, is... is well, here's, here's the thing. And, you know, this is, this is my take on it. 
in in the West Side program, you PR until you what? Fail. Yeah. So through training, you're ingraining the idea of failure. Mm-hmm. On my system, we don't worry about PRs until the tenth week. Mm-hmm. So it's build for nine weeks, and then hit the PR at week ten. What I found myself doing when I was at West Side and training the West Side method many times was for nine weeks I'm hitting PRs, and then when I go to the meet where it counts, I'm falling flat. You know, and a lot of times the reason I found this to be was. You can't get stronger every single week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't get exponentially stronger, like PR level strong every single week. What I found that I was doing was I was modifying my technique to get the PR. But let's say this. Let's say you squat a 500-pound squat raw, okay? Mm-hmm. And let's say it looks like total garbage. How are you then going to adjust your percentages to a proper a proper adjustment and try to squat 505 cleanly? It doesn't work that way. And that's what we got so wrapped up in. And I don't think Louie intended it to be that way, but Louie had such a good system that people bought into the PR mentality Mm -hmm. that it was PR at all costs. And we sacrificed form to chase the PR, whereas so many European lifters sacrificed a PR to maintain technique. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things that I found talking to to Shaco when I went to his seminar in Australia was – if a lifter over there hits a PR and it doesn't look clean, if it's not a good-looking lift, they don't adjust their percentages to that number. Mm-hmm. They adjust their percentages based on the cleanest PR. Yeah. So, so many lifters here spend so little time on technique work. I know, I mean, just take, for example, it's weightlifting, but take, for example, the Chinese and the Russians. Mm-hmm. They start their kids out at six to eight years old with a PVC pipe. For two years, they do nothing but form work. Mm-hmm. And then they move to a lightened barbell, a 10 to 15-pound barbell, for another year. And then they actually have competitions over there. I think it's in Romania that they have technique competitions for children. It's interesting. So it's, it, it becomes kind of like gymnastics mm-hmm. where you're scored on how well you perform the lift. So technique is taught from an early age over and over and over and over and over and you don't even consider adding weight until the child has perfected technique, you know, to the finest form. And then the weight comes after. And that's what I kind of try to do with the cube method. Not saying that my form is picture perfect, but I've found a form in all three lifts that works really well for me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the information that you got to understand when Louie wrote the, the West Side method or the West Side model, he wrote it for geared lifters, you know, um, you do want to bench outside the rings when you're wearing a bench shirt to stretch the bench shirt. You do want to squat ultra wide to stretch the briefs and the squat suit out. But for a human body that doesn't have those layers of polyester or canvas, it makes more sense to come into where you're strong. So I adapted a lot of that information that was written for, for geared athletes and modified it back down to raw athletes. You know, if you're going to punch somebody, you're not going to punch out wide like you would be outside the rings. You're going to punch straight ahead at a 90-degree angle. I coach lifters to bench inside the ring. When they're touching their chest, their elbow is directly in line with their wrist, which is in directly in line with their hand, which is directly in line with the bar. That makes more sense to me as a raw lifter rather than trying to use the leverage or the, the pressure that's built within a shirt. So <clears throat> I just went back to, to what I believe is a simple, fundamental approach to get strong. That's all the cube method was for me. Um, it was a way for me to, to get back to the glory days of my training where I trained a lot of repetition and a lot of volume work on my accessory work, but I still allowed myself to train heavy and hard on the main lifts. You know, Brandon, well, that was a great explanation. I mean, <laughs> as far as why you train and lift and execute lifts differently raw, that was just well said. I mean, I think there's a lot of people like – why am I this wide in the squat? Or you know what I mean? Right. Beginners, intermediate guys, and that, and that's why, right? The human body doesn't have layers of canvas pushing back on you. It just makes a lot of sense to me, anyway. So, and that's not a not. And listen, Louis Simmons doesn't have to to prove anything to me because I've trained with the dude. I've seen what his method can do. It works for multiply. Will it work for raw lifters? Yes. And here's how I believe it will work for raw lifters: if they adjust the overloads down. 
if they will take the box away at some point. Um, I can always tell a raw box squatter because they're going down, they're going down, they're going down, and right about where the box would be, they really slow down and almost lock up. You know, where you see a guy like Dan Green who just dive bombs and comes out of the hole. As a raw lifter, you need that kind of flexibility and that rebound. Um, in the canvas, you can almost gauge your squat where you want to stop. You can stand three inches above parallel and hold it. You can get down an inch above parallel. You can get six inches above parallel. And it's not going to strain you that bad because you have that support. It's much more difficult for a raw lifter. So I don't use bands and chains anymore, and I explain that in the cube method why. Um, one of the reasons that I wasn't using bands anymore is because on my deadlift, I always used to have bar drift. It used to drift away. And I always pulled with bands. And what I found was is the bands were acting like a Smith machine, mm-hmm. you know, because the point of the triangle from the two base points to the point, the top of the bar, my hips, when I was lifted all the way to the top, created a triangle. And that, that basically effectively worked as a Smith machine. So the, the band was keeping the bar in a perfect line. But when I took the bar or the band away, the bar was drifting. And I found that with a lot of lifters when I go to their gyms and I watch them lift, <clears throat> especially box squatters, they squat behind the bands and the bands actually pull them back forward. If you understand what I'm saying, when they sit yeah. back on the box, the bands will actually propel them back forward. And that's something that I don't believe needs to happen. I, you know, I think there's just a lot of little cues on the West Side method that make it difficult to apply if you don't understand and if you haven't been to West Side to, to see. And that's one of the things that I tell people. If no method is scientifically perfect, no method is scientifically sound. You know, water boils at 212 degrees, whether you're in Colorado or Kentucky. No method will work effectively across the board like that. If it did, where are the West Side world champions outside of West Side? Where are the West Side world record holders outside of West Side? Yeah. You know, it's a great method, but it's Ironman that's at West Side. Um, let's get into something that, what would you say is the biggest, uh, mistake people make with the cube method aside from going just going too heavy (laughs) aside from going too heavy honest to god when i wrote the cube method i was just writing my training out i had no idea that it was ever going to turn into a book i had no idea that it was going to be anything more than a blog type article system for juggernaut training systems so i wrote exactly what i did you know floor press bench press, you know, with a pause and full range press, et cetera. And I applied that to the book. And the mistake that I made was had I known I was writing a book, I would have done a much better job. And I'm actually uh, working on a kind of like a, not really a cube method 2.0, but just a, a revisiting to the original cube method. That's more broad for everyone. But so many people get tied into the, I have the cube method group on Facebook. They're like, Brandon, can I do this exercise instead of floor presses? Brother, it's not written in stone. You know, it's not law. You can do whatever the hell you want. You can do jumping jacks if you want to. <laughs> and the main thing is I tell them, I don't care what you do. I don't care what accessories you do. The main thing about the cube is the rotation of the days. Have a heavy day on your squat, a repetition day on your bench, an explosive day on your deadlift, do your accessory day on the weekend, come back, rotate the days forward. It maximizes recovery. And that's what it's all about for a raw lifter because in gear you have a lot of the the compensating recovery comes from the briefs and the the canvas suits like the Leviathan. But as a raw lifter, all you've got is what you got, you know. So you have to enable that recovery. So every week what I try to tell people in the cube, the method is build, build, test. So you're going to explosive rep and then test on your heavy day explosive rep test on your heavy day build build test build build test build build test Mm -hmm. and so many guys can't wait 10 weeks to try for a pr and that's fine you know if you feel strong like i say if the pan's hot cook Mm -hmm. but don't let that sacrifice don't let the pr at five weeks sacrifice a pr at 10 weeks lonnie you got anything else going to well, just it makes a lot of sense to me. I yeah. mean, for, as a exercise physiology nerd, you've got a form of deload in there. You know what I mean? When yeah. when you're doing speed work, when you're doing rep work, 
That just makes sense to me, especially for raw guys, because I can really appreciate what you're saying is, I don't know what it's like, you know, with a bodybuilding background and not powerlifting. I don't really know what it's like to have that Smith machine-like effect or having bands guide the bar, you know, and all these sorts of things are support as opposed to free-floating, you know, this sort of open-ended kind of free-floating stuff that the raw guy has to deal with. And it makes yep. sense that there'd be two, I don't want to call them just recovery days. I mean, they're active recovery days, you know, between the heavy ones, but it is a form of deload. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, it. it's it's kind of like what, one of my dad's favorite sayings is accidental greatness. And that's kind of what the cube method is. Like I said, I wasn't intending it for anything but me and my, me and my training partners at Lexham, which were myself, Jimmy Harris, and Ryan Mesmer. We were just goofing off and trying things. And one of the things that I'll tell you is Jimmy, at 39 years old, um, he still trains at the Lexington Doghouse somewhere up in Columbus. But he was 39 years old, and uh, his best bench ever was 440. And I remember in about 16 weeks, he benched 515 mm. um, for two singles. Mm. You know, And it's like, why is that? And we started looking at his training because he kept meticulous training logs. And it just looked like he was killing himself, you know, all the time. So we scaled back his volume, gave him appropriate testing days where he was testing his lifts um, appropriately after proper setups, you know, give him two to four weeks of buildup and then test the lift versus testing it every single week. And the guy just soared with it. You know, he went from like a 660 deadlift to a 700, um, a 680 squat to a 740. You know, I mean, it, it was like the, the results came fast and they came hard. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the the curiosity about what I was doing came. And it also helped that in my first raw meet back, I hit a 2105 total. So a lot of people kind of piqued their attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, whether or not they like me or they don't like me, I got 7,000 members in the cube group <laughs> and tons and tons of people are finding success on it. So... You know, if it was accidental greatness or if it was divine intervention, um, it's working for people, and that's the greatest feeling in the world. You know, Brandon and Phil knows this, but I think a lot of the guys who set up programming in powerlifting, um, they are following a lot of academic, like, strength conditioning journal kinds of rules more than they maybe know. You know, and the value is that they they feel it. Like when I said, I really like how you said about, you know, the canvas pushing back and some listeners may say, well, duh, but I'm imagining feeling that, you know what I mean? And that's the thing that like you and Phil can talk about that I really can't speak too much, which is what that feels like. And then you get insights like you're providing that speed day and that rep day that provides active recovery, but in a structured way, not lay on the sofa kind of way. But, right. you know, because otherwise you just go max every third week, you know, right. but it lets you train the nervous system but leave your joints out of it a little bit you know that sort of thing and that becomes a big deal i would think with the raw guys you know here's something that a lot of people don't understand about the cube method and the waves but i'll say this as simply as i can the starting percentages for your for your explosive day your rep day and your heavy day all right your explosive day is 60 percent your rep day starts at 70 percent and your heavy day starts at 80 percent all right by the end your explosive day has graduated to 70%. Your rep day has graduated to 80% and your 80% has graduated to 105%. So what you find is by the end, you're doing explosive work with what was once your repetition work. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing repetition work, which was what, which was what once was your heavy work and your heavy work has now become new PRs. Yeah. So that's what a lot of people don't understand. There's not just this, Oh, it's a light day. It's easy. It's actually taxing. But through the system and through the effort that you exert day in and day out, you build what was once too slow to be considered fast. By week 10, you're now doing explosive work with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the other side of it. I agree with Louie. You can't lift a heavy weight slow. You know, you've got to be exerting maximum force on the bar to, to lift it. You know, it may look slow, but if you're just, you know, if you're not exerting maximum speed force, you're not going to lift through the bar. So... I think in, in powerlifting, too, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, one thing you're seeing now is, um, well, two things. 
that you're seeing now in the programs that are being successful is um, there's more of an emphasis on starting lighter than you think you should. Yep. And repetition work's coming back. You know, yep. for a long time, powerlifters got lazy. It was like, oh, man, I'm three, three reps is it. Well, and you're you- seeing this rebirth of, you know, they notice that people over in Russia are getting strong hitting, like, sets of 10. You know, you yep. look at some of those weightlifters over there, and they never hit less than, like, eights. And they're, yeah. you got guys crushing 1,000-pound squats. Well, the thing that kills me, and <clears throat> you can understand this and appreciate it, I used to go to powerlifting meets, and I was absolutely disgusted by the people that you would see. I mean, mm-hmm. you can call me arrogant. You can say whatever. I never got into this sport just to lift maximum weight. I got into the sport to get girls mm-hmm. and to look better. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I never wanted to be a fat piece of shit. Yeah. And so many guys became fat pieces of shit because mm-hmm. that meant you could lift more weight in a bench shirt or a squat yeah. suit or whatever. And it's kind of like I said, that big at all cost mentality. But now guys are coming back to the raw side, and they're finding out, hey, that extra 10 pounds of body fat doesn't do anything except get in the way of my deadlift. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it's it's been a nice transition because you go to powerlifting meets now, and it's like, damn, everybody looks like they lift. Or, you know, everybody, <laughs> right. not yeah. everybody, but, you know, the majority looks like they lift. I mean, yeah. you got Dan Green, you've got Stan Everding, yeah. that kid T. Cummins. I mean, those three guys, well, Stan is a bodybuilder, but, I mean, Give Dan Green eight weeks, and he's on a bodybuilding stage. Yeah. Give T. Cummins six to eight weeks, and he's on a bodybuilding stage. Um, Brantley Thornton, I mean, you can go right on down the line. I mean, there's some really, really high-caliber physiques that are now coming to powerlifting, and I think that's why you're seeing the door open to, like, Animal. Mm-hmm. BSN is signing athletes now. Um, a lot more people are looking at powerlifting and say, hey, you're not just, you're not just a model. You're actually – it's form and function. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people who haven't been around the sport or just to it now that they have a skewed view of 10 years ago. It didn't look like what's going on now. Right. (laughs) There's a and the physique is coming back. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, 10 years ago, hell, maybe even as short as five years ago, you'd go and be like, man, do you even lift? You know, do you even lift, bro? But uh, (laughs) you know what, you guys, we're almost out of time, but. Yeah. It, that's why we've always championed that sort of crossover thing on Iron Radio. You know what I mean? If you say five or ten years ago, but if you go back to the, you know, 70s, the bodybuilders were competing in powerlifting meets. Hey, you know what I mean? It was the this, same we thing. Had we had this discussion last night with Derek Kendall uh, and the Little Bridges. We were having dinner, and we were just talking about it. But back then, yeah, guys competed in different disciplines, but they trained side by side. You know what I mean? There yeah. wasn't this, oh, I'm a bodybuilder. I can't train with you because you're a powerlifter. And there wasn't, like, I'm a powerlifter. I can't train with you because you're a strongman. Everybody trained together. You know, and then when it came competition time, they might branch off and do a little bit of an exclusive cycle or something. But look at look at Kazmaier. Mm-hmm. Look at Doug Young. Look at these guys like Franco. He was one of the stronger powerlifters back in the day, you know. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. great, great deadlifter, great bench presser, and one of the top body, Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's just, it's a shame. I mean, there does need to be some specialization, but it's really a shame that guys get so caught up. And it's it's the young kids, really, that get so caught up in the discerning who does what and, you know, all that crap. But if kids, this is the best message I can give you. Go to the gym. Don't look at the Internet. Don't take drugs. Don't take any supplements. Eat as much as you can possibly eat and train your ass off for three years. Fail over and over and over again and keep getting back up and come back to the gym harder the next time. And then start opening your mind to different things. Mm -hmm. You know, just get you a cookie cutter five by five template or something like that for three years and just wear it out. Build the base and then come back to to whatever specialized program you want. Because so many people, like you said, why in the hell are you in a bench shirt to bench 98 pounds? <laughs> You're not strong. Yeah. You know, it's, just, <clears throat> it's amazing. Well, it's a good show. We'll let you get back and uh, <laughs> hopefully maybe get some sleep or something, waking up early. But oh, man, I'm, I'm an early riser. I like uh, I like getting up, especially out here on the West Coast. Uh, yeah. uh, it's a beautiful place, man. Oh, yeah. Well, tell Mark hi. I'm, I'm I sure will. I'll be talking to him. And uh, 
like I said, I'll get a hold of you probably later next week, and we'll do some more stuff, all right? All right, man. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Hey, this is Rob Fortress Fortney, and I'm here to tell you about some of the cool new stuff us guys at Iron Radio are bringing your way. Thanks to our loyal supporting members, we have enough cash flow to start migrating to Lipson, arguably the premier podcast host, and one that serves up some very high-end shows and tools. The change will start slowly with a little backup page that can be found right now on the Lipson website. This means our occasional server errors cannot keep the show out of your hands. But as we move more and more content over to the new server, it is going to allow us to do a couple of brand new things. First, we're planning an Iron Radio app for iPhone and Android. Believe it. If you're not sure what RSS feeds are or how to describe in iTunes, apps are a very simple way to get our content, either by downloading it or even streaming it through the app on a phone or tablet. Even better, you'll occasionally see a little E on an app link that means there's extra content you can access for that show. For example, we can add extended audio to a show, or even pics like wallpapers or science graphs that support what we're saying. The iPhone app even has a search feature. Want the show with Eddie Cohen right now? You'll be able to grab it quickly. Second, you'll see an improved media player on www.ironradio.org. You can download or listen easily right from the home page with no other windows or pop-ups necessary. Third, and maybe best, we'll be adding all new bonus content. Behind the scenes, special interviews, audio articles delivered from co-host personal libraries, on-site coverage, editorials, rants, bloopers, and more. The growth of the show and the new functionality does come with some cost. Starting in June, episodes older than a year... 50 shows will become premium content. There are several reasons for this. For one, serving audio to our growing listenership through a big boy system like Lipson costs a bit more. Second, our RSS feed service called FeedBurner has a limit, so this will keep us from having to drop early episodes one at a time as new ones come out. In fact, here's a tip. If you want all the old episodes at zero cost, download them before June 2014. We're telling you now because that's how we roll. So how does premium content work? You pick up an inexpensive subscription at my.lipson.com, which gets you every Iron Radio episode plus new bonus content that no one else can hear. These subscriptions are very cheap and can be gotten monthly, yearly, etc. Quit when you want. Further, if you're a current supporting member through PayPal, we appreciate your ongoing support. Free new content each week is possible because of your dedication. You help thousands of young lifters, or anyone, get news, education, and entertainment that they otherwise might not get. Simply email me through the ironradio.org homepage, and our web guru Lonnie will buy you a year's membership on my Lipson as an iron brother or sister. Finally, let me reiterate, as we grow, we want to keep new episodes free forever while providing better services and content for the whole Iron Army. Thanks 50 times for your ongoing support. Iron Radio is accepting donations. 
If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.